We can be ready. We can be ready. Welcome to another Guitar Ted podcast. <laughs> New York rolls around up the horns over here. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Um, new exciting news in Morgan's in my life. Oh, yeah? What's that? Uh, I put a deposit down on a puppy. Ooh. Oh, we got the sonogram pictures yesterday. Oh, really? They do that now? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you make sure it has four legs and a head. And yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of dog did you get? Oh, we're getting or another. Getting? We're getting another Rhodesian. Awesome. Has to be. It, so when's this going to happy occasion going to happen? Um, I'm thinking no sooner than the end of April we'll get the addition. Nice. Um, right now we're picking out girl names. Oh, it's a girl. I prefer to have female dogs. Yeah. Um. I just always grew up with female dogs. It's yeah. nothing against the male ones. I just, you know, there's a lot against the male ones. I don't want the leg lifting. Yeah, right. You know, so. Um, gotcha. Yeah, and also alpha male, alpha male type stuff. Sure. Yeah, just, yeah it's just the females seem to be more docile and. Right. They're, but they're one hell of a guard dog. Yeah. You know, when it's time, it's time type of thing. And no one really saw it with Ella. I saw it a couple of times and she was like on, you know, mm-hmm. even for my grandmother, my aunt Judy couldn't come into the living room one day cause she sensed my grandmother was not having it. Yeah. And so Ella just posted herself between my grandmother and aunt Judy and aunt Julie looked at the dog, looked at the kitchen, went back into the kitchen. Grandmother was like, good pup. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs, you know, they're they're very intuitive dogs. Yeah. They they read a lot of things, but yeah. So cool. So it's not only your year for a dog, twenty twenty four, but it's, it's your year for core four. It is. So it's also the year of the dragon, I believe. Well, that could be, but we're talking about core four now. Well, I was gonna say I don't want you to be dragon on core four. There you go. You found a way to fit it in. I was gonna work it in. Core four is our sponsor. And they have new distances, new routes, and new experiences for you this year. Choose from the 60 or 100-mile podium-eligible Core 4 no-service-untouched routes. Or skip the single track and choose the gravel-centric 20- or 40-mile routes. For the uninitiated, it's that local Iowa City vibe on the national stage. Join riders from over 30 states. Be part of Iowa gravel history along with 1,000 others, one of four of which are women. Let's go, ladies. As always, youth ride for free. Big Grove plus Red Bull plus Wilson's Orchard equals the Holy Iowa Trinity of Gravel Magic. It's not black magic. It's gravel magic. But it's the year of the dragon, and dragons are magic. There you go. Jump on Bike Reg now to register. It's your year. Core for 2024. So... Does this work out the one year you did Trans Iowa? I believe it was Trans Iowa twelve. Was that also year of the dragon? Yeah, I don't keep track of that. I don't know. It might have been. But you had the dragon hat. Someone made the dragon. I emblem. just came up with that on my own because my oh. daughter likes dragons. Well, she's a cool cat. Yeah, yeah. So I was drawing up a dragon one day for her, and I thought, well, this would be kind of a cool thing for a header, and oh. I just went went with it with that. It had nothing to do with. The Chinese New Year. I mean, I it could have been the year of the dragon. I have no idea. 
I think dragons and gravel go together. I think they did too. So that's yeah. kind of why I did it. As long as it's not a rabbit in a cave with big fangs. Mm, that's true. Right. Hey, I want to uh, thank uh, some of our listeners for the comments and suggestions that we've been getting lately. Uh, you can, if you have any comments, concerns, or suggestions, you can send them into g.ted.productions at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> La cry. La croix. And, um, but we did get some nice comments. Yeah. I forward those to you. Hope you saw those. Yeah, I, I read that email today. Yep. Yep. So we have a correction to make. Yeah, you can do a lot on the Trans-Canadian Trail. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when I did the BC Epic, that was pretty much a good chunk of the British Columbia section. Mm-hmm. And I did take the world's longest free ferry, which I believe is part of the TCT. I can't remember at that point in the route. I know you diverge a couple of times, but mm-hmm. most of it was on the TCT. Um, right. And the person was absolutely right where I was in Ontario, Ontario, uh, Ottawa area. Um, I was across the Ottawa River from Pembroke. Yeah. And they're absolutely right. There's parts of that you knit to um, what uh, I don't want to say, but you. You take a boat, you kayak or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says uh, Trans Canada Trail consists of waterways, canoe, kayak, and some roads and some hiking trails and some rail trails. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. A lot of biking opportunities, but certainly not a cross-country rail trail, she says. This is one from one of our listeners to the show. We appreciate you letting us know that. And uh, she mentions, well, we can get to that in the gravel amplifier section about the Facebook pages she mentioned. Yeah. But, and I, I uh, think we did amplify one of those Ohio events. Yeah, I was pretty sure. I, I When I answered her back, I said, you know, I'm, I've heard of that yeah. Ohio group. I wasn't aware of the Tennessee one. Although, back in the day, we had people from Tennessee coming to Trans-Iowa. So, well, they were coming here to get the corn to go make the whiskey. <laughs> Actually, they were from <laughs> the Yazoo Beer Brewery down there. So they gave me, I still have, I think I still have my Yazoo socks. Okay. Maybe not, but anyway, that's been a long time ago. So we're going to have a special guest today. Uh, Last podcast, we talked about, um, did gravel save racing? And that was an idea that was put forth by Dave Pryor of the Unpaved, the Susquehanna River Valley fame, the event in Pennsylvania that happens in October out that way. Uh, Dave is one of the RDs of the event, one of the organizers, and uh, he had mentioned that that phrase, did gravel save racing? Yeah. So we kind of took that and did our last podcast, and we thought, you know, we, we maybe we're speaking a little bit too much for Dave, so we thought we'd invite him on and let him speak for himself. And ask him other questions. Yes. So he'll be on a little bit. So we look forward to that. So when you hear the phone ring, it'll be Dave, hopefully, and not somebody, some spam caller. <laughs> we don't like that let me turn this down first before he calls in i don't think they want to hear that <laughs> anyways um, yeah yeah so that's what that's going to be about um yeah the comments the canadian trail we already covered that so um because we're kind of talking about some stuff that we've already covered ground on on this podcast before I'm going to put links into some of our old shows that cover parts of this. Uh, A conversation about group rides 
a continued conversation about group rides and be a good event participant. Yeah. So those all be linked in the show notes because they all have kind of something to do with this. Yeah. And it's just not us chatting about this. Um, GCN put out a reel the other day about half wheeling. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just not us. You know, it's just not our issues. It's Mm -hmm. all of our issues. And, I mean, we got this sandbox we all got to play in. So, you know, let's, let's be the best version of ourselves in it. Right. Well, I don't know if we can, you know, even hope to be the best version of ourselves. Did you read the comments? (laughs) Don't ever read the comments. The comments were awesome. (laughs) Unless you're into some real dark humor stuff, you know, it's. (laughs) Like one of the guys said, well, isn't that the point to go faster? (laughs) Obviously, he doesn't get group riding at all. <laughs> well, it again, it depends. You know, I've been on rides where it's it's a known drop, mm-hmm. and my goal was like, well, let's see how long I can go before I really get dropped. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one of the um, dominant riders would always turn around. Oh, fat boy still hanging on. <laughs> you see the grin, and you watch the you watch the cadence pick up to butterfly level yeah. or hummingbird. Yeah, you know you can't you can't physically see the feet no, anymore. They're just a blur. What's, what's that Japanese track uh, track racing? Um, Kieran racing. Yeah, it's like that. It's like 200 RPM gone. You're just like. Oh, Speaking of that, there's a league being formed in the states. It's like a world going to be like worldwide, I guess. Okay. Uh, but it's going to not just be Japanese teams. It's going to. I think it's starting in England, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. In the, in the UK, maybe some of our UK listeners can chime in on that in the comments. But, um, yeah, I saw something about that the other day that there were there was going to be some big um, track Kieran Cycling League. Hmm. So That doesn't make – that does not drive in my head because uh, um, the reason why it doesn't drive in my head is because – all the velodromes are being ripped down across the world. Like Minneapolis lost theirs a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple others have been gone. So it just doesn't, I know it's not track racing, but I would think it would kind of work out with it. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a resurgence of track racing. Yeah. Just different format and you can bet on it. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go. DraftKings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, speaking of DraftKings, uh, you like that half wheeling DraftKings? Yeah. DraftKings half good. wheeling Daytona Five Hundred coming up this weekend. Speaking oh, of drafting, yeah? yeah, if you're a race fan, oh yeah, Dale, <laughs> raise hail, praise Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I just Yeehaw. I just saw that. Uh, <laughs> The symbol, the symbol sticker for that. Yeah. The up arrow, then the pitchfork with on fire. Oh yeah. And then um, you know, the hands clap together, and then the number three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. pretty good. Still popular. Yeah. Unbelievable. Twenty plus years on. Yeah, I mean, the guy had an impact. And um, one time I was listening to Joe Rogan interview his son Dale Jr. And it was very interesting. It seemed like Senior did not want Dale in the car. And then as soon as Junior was getting good, he made a comment to him about, you know, going harder into the corners. Don't yep. don't worry, it won't mm-hmm. break. 
and he didn't do it. And senior just, I guess, kind of like looked at him like, this is why I don't talk to you. <laughs> you know. And then junior did it like a week, a week or two later. He's like, all right, dad, you're right. It was like yeah. kind of. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting, interesting father son combo there. Well, you, you get into that. Yeah. Show me one that's perfect though. Yeah. As, right. long, as long as as long as the kids don't grow up and become you know complete whatevers, um, everyone's got their own path. So oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. So um, I saw something kind of new, kind of not new but new today. Yeah, thirty six inch wheels for gravel. I thought we covered this before, kind of. Well, that was seven hundred D, I think. Yeah, this is bigger. Sure, this was an April Fool's. Yes, I'm sure. Curve Cycling in the Australia did a crowdfund kind of thing. Basically, a pre-order. If we if we sell this many pre-orders, we'll actually make it. Okay. Thing. So they made it to the 20 uh, bike limit that they had set the okay. threshold, and they are going to make this titanium 36er with carbon uh, hooped wheels and a carbon fork that's special design for it. It has like 80-something millimeters of offset on the fork, and there's over 100 millimeters of bottom bracket drop. Like, the numbers on this bike are nuts because the wheels are so big. Yeah. But they claim it'll fit someone down to five foot seven, which I'm like, hey, I kind of want to be that weird. test case. Yeah. Well, take on a rag bry. Be yeah. a weirdo. Yeah. I'm sure it's not a cheap bike because it's carbon and tie, but, yeah. You can probably pre-order one if you want. But it's kind of cartoonish looking because the wheels are so big. It's got like over two inch wide uh, rubber on it mm-hmm. that's made by V Rubber. I guess they V Rubber stepped up and started making some yeah. nice tires for that dirty sixer company that makes mountain bikes for big people. Yeah, with the thirty six inch wheels. So these tires are supposedly over two inches wide, and on the prototype, you look at it and you're like, those look like forties because the size, the diameter of the wheels is so big. Yeah, it makes the tires look tiny. I mean, V-Rubber, my experience, isn't a bad tire. It's just you just kind of turn your nose up at them a little bit because you're better yeah. than that. It's just that arrogance we all kind of get with products. Sure, there is some of that, yeah. for sure. Um, well, I actually tested some V-Rubber tires in, during the pandemic. I think it, they were called Rocket Man tires. Yeah. I didn't think they were too bad. I had one of their V rubber. It was the closest thing you can get for a slick at the time for 26 inch fat bikes. Yeah. And I think oh, it was yeah. A, I remember those. Yeah. Speedsters. Yeah. The Speedsters. Yeah, I had they them. Cross hatched. Yeah. And they, they rolled great on gravel. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great gravel tire. Didn't they fling little bits of stones? Yeah. yeah but at that time, it was kind of like every gravel tire did. Gravel flingers. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. It's just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I liked them. They were a good tire. You just couldn't set them up tubeless. But at that time, not many fat bikes were tubeless. No. So it, you weren't really. out anything. Right. And then one of the hacks I was doing back then was I was grabbing those um, QBP 2.4 to 2.75, 26-inch tubes, extreme weather. Mm-hmm. And I was running that inside that for my fat bike tire tube and then just oh. pouring in a shit ton of stands. You just fell out of the oval club, oval tub club. Are we even, ah, I made it past the 15 minute mark this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oval club was started by a uh, listener. So, yeah. 
So that's our little inside joke. Well, someday we may explain that whole thing, but those who know, know. You're right. Yeah. Solid matters. There, yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, there's that titanium 36 er coming out. So that'll be pretty cool. And um, let's see what else. Oh, I got a review of the Tumbleweed um, Big Dipper bar finished. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm going to yeah. post that up on my site on, I think it's, I think it's on for Monday. Yeah, and you're also doing those uh, TRP mechanical over hydraulic brakes, right? Mm-hmm. Those high roads? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I've got some other ones from State that yeah. actually feel way better. Yeah, and that was my comment to you when you got the State ones. I was like, they look lighter and cleaner mm-hmm. than the TRP. That's so clunky, yeah. Yeah, and I played with that barrel adjuster on the TRP. I played with the barrel adjuster, and I was also running them on a drop bar, so I don't know if that makes a big difference. Yeah, that's what I got them on. Yeah, you know, I, but, I figured the yeah. longer pull would kind of help, and it was an on or off. It was like a that's, light switch. That's kind of how their uh, their full hydraulic set feels to me, which I have on another yeah. bike. It's like on-off. There's like zero, hardly any modulation at all yeah where the state ones you have modulation it feels nice so the reason why i went down that rabbit hole was when i did the bc epic i had their spikes Mm -hmm. and coming down on the other side of gray's pass which is a mountain descent yeah um right outside of kimberly british columbia yeah in between kimberly and uh, anyways um there's probably about a five mile descent and on a gravel, well, on a Jeep road, well, gravel road slash Jeep, depending upon what section you're at. And I was just afraid I was just going to burn up those brakes. So yeah. when I got back, I was like, well, I'm going to keep bike packing with this thing. So I want to get a beefier. Upgrade. Mechan- yeah. So I went with that and thinking with the mechanical over hydraulic, it would, um, it would work like a hydraulic mm-hmm. and, <laughs> Yeah, you're on or you're off, <laughs> you know. So I yeah. Another uh, another brand that's uh, out there that I've worked with that you can pick up on Amazon is uh, Juin Tech. It's J U I N Tech. Okay. Um, they make a, a cable actuated hydraulic brake that I've actually put on some people's bikes back when I worked on the bike shop, and they love them. Yeah, seem to like them a lot. So, and they come in different colors. So if you're that kind of, you have to have colors and you can do that. You do the matchy match thing. Matchy match. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's another one that's supposed to be pretty good, but the state bicycle ones are way cheap. And when they're in stock, they're hardly yeah. ever in stock because they're so cheap. I think that's why they have a hard time keeping them in stock because it's a killer value. I think it's a hundred dollars for a pair. It's ridiculous really? how cheap they are. Huh. Yeah. And they actually work really good. But I do like the high roads because I put them on my Fargo, which has never had quiet brakes. They've always been noisy. Yeah. And those high roads are quiet. Okay. So I'll live with that because it's better than what I had. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. I also set up the Naughty Girl with a ratio kit. Yeah. So that seems to be shifting way better than the other one I did on the Stiggy, on the Stigmata. Mm-hmm. Um. I used the same group set concept, except this time I kept the 11 speed XO, no, uh, 
I kept the 11 speed force rear derailleur. Yeah. And I changed out the cage with their kit. And I think that's what makes, makes the big difference. So if you're going to go that ratio technology, one by 12 mechanical route and change out the cam, if you already have an existing 11 speed force or rival rear, rear D, yeah. just buy, just do the 139 euro or whatever they're selling it for pounds or because you're buying it from England. Do that kit versus just buying the cam. Just buy the cam with the rear derailleur cage and change out your rear derailleur cage. Because the first one I did, I did the uh, upgrade to take a mountain bike. I took a XO1 rear D. Mm-hmm. And upgraded that. <clears throat> and so I had to change out the cable cam. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the thing that bolts on the yeah. actual derailleur, yeah. Yeah, then also put on the barrel adjuster. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much that cable cam could be so finicky that I think you're just cleaner just spending the extra $40 and changing out the cage. Yeah. Does that make much sense? Yeah, because yeah. it's all one piece, is it? Or Yeah. 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 Okay. So that cage that comes with jockey wheels, right. you're not out anything. You just have an extra rear derailleur cage laying around for 11 speed or 10 yeah. speed. Yeah. So gotcha. I I would promote, if you're going to do it, go that way. Yeah. Dave Pryor. All right. Here's our guest here. And uh, hold on. Give here. us a second, Dave. Uh, there you go. Yep. This one? Yep. <laughs> There we go. All right. Can you hear us now, sir? Hello. Hello, Dave. How are you? Good. How are y'all? Doing great. Welcome to the Guitar Ted podcast. Thanks for being on. Yeah, I'm here to redeem my punch card for guest appearances. Is this four or three? I know. I think it's my free episode. (laughs) Fifth one you get for free, bud. Yeah, there you go. I think it's five. Yeah. Well, before we get before we get started with anything else, I have to say congratulations to your better half who just got inducted mm-hmm. to the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame this week. Isn't that exciting? Yes. I am. I'm sorry, you mean not you may no longer be my favorite inductee now. Sorry. <laughs> There's well, so here's the thing I just realized. <laughs> I think next year is your year. This is why. Mm-hmm. Year one. Mark gets in. And other people you've had interactions get in, right? Last year, yeah. what got in that you had at your race a couple of years ago? Yeah. The Chase, Chase Lounge, yeah. right? Yeah. This Stop year? Yeah. This year's coming, right? <laughs> we have a couple. Jay, Jay was at our event. Um, yeah, I have a few. Yeah, I have a lot of connections. Next yeah. year? Yeah, I don't need to get in the hall. I, I'm, I'm kind of like in the hall. I'm like made, like the family. Like I'm just in. I don't need a position. Yeah. So, so just for our our listeners' sake, we're talking about Celine Yeager, who just was inducted into the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame along with three other people, and they will be installed into the hall in uh, late May in Emporia, Kansas. So, hope to see you there, Dave. I will definitely be there. See you there too. I will be there. Anyway, Excellent. so we'll get to what we were here to talk about now. <laughs> so the last podcast we did, we uh, we took off on a little turn of phrase that you had, which was uh, gravel saved racing, and we were speaking on your behalf just because that's what we do here. <laughs> totally reasonable. Yeah. And so then we thought, well, hey, wait a minute. We better invite Dave on and let him speak for himself. <laughs> so that's what we did. So thanks for uh-huh. coming on. 
Um, Absolutely. Uh, so I'll just kick it off by saying, why do you think gravel saved racing? We'll just start there. Um, well, three, I think you guys did cover a whole lot of where my brain was at. And, it, and I figured when I threw it in your direction, you'd also take it in a bunch of different directions, which was very cool. Um, it popped in my head as I was watching the Call of a Lifetime series and watching Keegan just destroy people left, right, and center and thinking how cool it is that he can make a decent living doing gravel racing and not have to be, because he's designed to be a bike racer. I don't know him. I don't know his skill set. Maybe he's also a computer engineer. You know, yeah. how many women, how many women in for bike racing are also PhDs, finance experts, all that sort of stuff. We don't need to go down that road, how they have to have like three amazing careers and guys get to just race bikes. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, like 10 or more years ago, he would probably have to go off onto a UCI level pro circuit to make a living racing bikes. Sure. And now he can stay here. Now, uh, you know, Peter Stetna can quote unquote become like the first privateer, which is, you know, again, women have been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but we can't donate to go down that road, but they can carve a living. They can get away from what the machine of racing was to do racing on their own terms right. and get exposure, get exciting, excite other people. You know, if Keegan was in a pro tour team, probably wouldn't know his name very much. If results would show up like Ted King was on a pro team for a long time, but people right. only, he was only famous as a bike racer because he must have caught off of the Tour de France and then he had a good blog, but this is a good blog that actually got him attention, you know, so yeah. he needed to do those things. And so becoming something better than pack fodder and actually making a living and being successful looks like he's having a good time. Um, it just, that turned my head like, you know, maybe we've got this script. It's not racing. Isn't ruining gravel, but gravel is saving racing uh, at least here in America. So that was where my mind went. Yeah. Um, you guys took it in a bunch of different directions, including the main thing around all this is gravel racing is still fun. Um, it is fun for them to do. It is fun for people like me to do. It's right. fun for my fast wife to do. It's fun for her not very fast husband to do. Um, <laughs> and even if you are having a bad day, it can still be fun. Right. You know, if you're in a, if you're racing a crit and you get popped off the back, you might as well just pull over your day's done. Right. If you are pulled, you're kicked off the back from the front pack of a, you know, a big pro bike gravel bike race, you're still having a great time. And they come to the finish line, talk about how their day went and how they can't wait to come back and take on this challenge again. It still has that challenge element to it. They're just doing it at a faster pace. You know, a lot of these were created on, can you finish them? Right. They, they like first said, I don't know, can I finish this? I've never raced 200 miles before. They can, they just do it faster, and they, but they still have that enjoyment of the community and, you know, they're still getting fulfillment even if they did not have the results that they had in mind. The yeah. day is still a success. Yeah. So a lot of ways I think that is helping the racer end of the, you know, the pointy end of the sphere, the racers as well, because it includes what you all talked about and where events may go and that sort of thing. If pro racing, if pro gravel racing, falls out of fashion or becomes too cumbersome to do all those things. We'll still have gravel events, whether they're hoop nannies, whether they're um, segment racing, whether they're just, you know, tours or bike packing, all those things. You're not getting away from gravel bike riding in America. And that kind of goes to one of your other posts, like the gravel save the road bike probably. 
Um, cause that's what they should have been all along. Yeah. This is what American bike racing should have been all along. Yeah. And we should flourish and embrace it and not chase the Euro or Olympic model like mountain biking did. Right. Mountain biking is still fun. Mountain bike racing is not as much fun, but mountain biking is still fun and Ooh, mountain yeah. bike adventures are still fun. Absolutely. Mountain bike racing is, ugh, it doesn't look as much fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we can keep gravel as unique and each event is unique, each event has its unique set of rules that you need to pay attention to because mm-hmm. it's adventure. You need to know your terrain. You need to know what kind of world you're getting into. You need to pay attention to the weather. You need to, you know, you can't just show up and clip in and go. Right. It requires all the parts of your brain. And if we keep those elements within it, we'll be totally fine. If we try and sanitize it or um, commoditize it or do other things that we do in many other industries. Yeah. Um, so it plays to like, well, these are the same set of rules everywhere. It'll get boring and we'll fall out of favor and move Absolutely. on. And that's, maybe it will. I don't know. I'm going to keep having fun with these things. I'm going to keep making them a little weird and yeah, you know, take advantage of things. And I think that will keep it going. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. go ahead. Dave. I have a question. Um, in order to keep exercising your noodle, you know, your brain, <laughs> um, should we just not provide maps anymore and just do go back the old way and go back to uh, cards? Cue sheets? You mean um, cue sheets? I, I have mixed feelings about that. I love the adventure. I love, you know, it's one of the elements we have in Unpaved. It's called the slumber party. It's mm-hmm. for people who want to do the Unpaved course but have, want to do it with as much stopping as possible. So we give them an overnight stay at one of our aid stations. Um, and they, people love it. It's a great way to do it. They basically get to do the entire course over two days. And I want to set up like a guidebook for them to use. But I think one of the things that made this so accessible is the confidence in technology that you're not going to get lost in yeah. the wilderness. Um, I think and it depends on the area. I think say we're in the Midwest, the things I've done up there, there's a lot of gravel roads in a grid system because they're based off the farms. And so if you miss a turn, you can take the next one. The ones we use in the forest here, if you miss a turn, it might be three or four miles and two climbs before you get to the next one. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's problematic. Right. Um, you know, I've talked to the folks in Vermont, a lot of the events up there have stopped marking the course at all. No arrows anywhere. They just use satellite devices or cue sheets. Mm-hmm. Their their thoughts around that is there are a few more intersections so you could miss a turn and you'd be okay. But mostly it is because they don't allow billboards in Vermont, so they want to keep that ethos of not mucking up the scenery right. with stuff. Ah, uh, okay. I and was, I get that. That makes yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, I I just know there was a couple of races here where they actually marked the course and then other people you know, turn the arrows or they, Oh, that, that, that will 100% happen. Happens just at every event. Yeah. yeah I um, so our forestry, when I talk to them, because yes, I would love to stop marking the course. It is a huge time suck. It's Brett spends about a week marking the course before unpaved. Cause yeah. we go, our Rangers want it to be marked. They want it over the top. They don't want people missing a turn and getting lost and having to get rescued. So they're like, you will mark the course. I'm like, okay, we'll mark the course. Would love to stop. But it's necessary by our manager, so that's you know part of the rules of the game is right. Yeah, um, we have gotten confidence. One of the nice things that if you are 
relatively new to this, a beginner, but maybe just new. Adding a device is what another two hundred, three hundred dollars mm-hmm. to an already expensive sport. So, at my other event in the spring, where I don't need a market force, there's years we barely did it because it was raining. And so, what's the point of putting up paper arrows? They fall <laughs> off as soon as you staple them to the to the telephone pole. Um, but we are going to mark the shorter course pretty well, so that someone new to this doesn't need a device. Right. Um, Fair enough. If you're going to do fifty to seventy-five miles. We've surveyed 90% of those people have devices or a friend is riding with it. Um, so it's less of an issue to mark every, you know, the 105 intersections, you know, we don't have to mark them all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's some of that too. Um, it, yeah, it depends on, and a lot of this does come back to who runs the event as much as I would love unpaved to be its own thing. And I'm faceless behind it. Um, it doesn't work in gravel. And that's it, probably one of its blessings is that, you know, they take on the persona of either who started it or who primarily runs it and find out what they're like. And then if you kind of yeah. trust them with what they do, then yep. go for it. If you're like, mm, I don't know, then well, keep looking down the calendar and see what else is around. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, uh, you, you just hit on something that touches me because that's what happened with my event. But that was one of the reasons why we didn't want, to band together in series or have any kind of, you know, we we talked about it amongst ourselves in the early days, like, should we streamline our rules? So they're all the same. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, that would take away the personality of the event. That's what we said. Well, we, we decided that way back then. And Um, so everything that you're saying resonates with me totally because uh, each that, and that's what made gravel fun back then. I think that's what still makes it fun today. Cause if I go out and I, if I do unpaved, uh, this fall, I'm going to experience something that reflects on you and your team and what mm-hmm. you believe in. And if you come out here and did an event like core four, who sponsors this spot podcast this week, or if you did something here in Iowa, it would reflect those race directors, viewpoints on how gravel would be and you like you said if you either enjoy it and if you don't you don't go back or you you figure it out ahead of time and go to a different event so that's the beauty of the gravel scene is that you know with probably nowadays i imagine we have over 700 gravel events to choose from and all throughout the year you're going to find something that you want to go do that makes sense to you you resonate with so i mean and that could be an event that is uh driven by cue sheets uh, by the way, right. I want to let you know that cue sheets are no easier than marking the course. <laughs> oh, no, I've done those too. I have marked, I've used a cue sheet um, across the state of Pennsylvania. I had to make a cue sheet for a six-day ride across that. And yeah. Boy, that was, it's the cue sheet didn't change that morning when right. you know because someone will move an arrow. But, yes, oh, my God, they're a pain. And you, you, have check, don't, you have to drive it. Cause you have to drive it, make sure everything different. that you wrote down makes sense. You know, and I actually went as far as have somebody else take my cue sheets before my event and guide themselves. And they would say, Hey, Mark, this doesn't make any sense. Well, it made sense to me, but you know, you you should write it like this. And so I even went that far because that's cue sheets are, it's imperative that you get it so everybody can understand it and then that they're right. Not, you know, they can't be wrong, obviously, but they have to be right. And then we had, you know, where we, we were guiding people by street signs, which are all across Iowa, nine 11, uh, and the nine one one call, uh, protocol meant that they had to mark every 
road and so there's street signs on every corner except for when the kids go out and turn them sideways and or take them down oh, yeah. <laughs> which <Yeah>. happens <laughs> and when we did the cog 100 we ran when we did the recon we ran my uh wahoo in the mm-hmm. car and mark would be like well this there should be a turn at 55.1 and i'm like well, it's great. That's what your map says. We're at 55.3. <laughs> you know, so we're, right. we're, we're trying yeah. to get down to that tenth of a mile. Yeah, that kind of granular, yep. granular level, which is hard to do, especially when you have people wandering around on the road or they go off to a quarter mile yep. to relieve themselves and come back. And <laughs> yep. now you're oh, off. Off. Now I'm yeah. screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was worth, yeah. the, worth asking someone. Yeah. No, it's a very good point. I, I think the breadcrumbs have been huge. I mean, there's, there's a whole other topic for you. The biggest technological advances to make gravel bigger, I think, disc and tubeless are up there. But I do think these devices and ability to go out and explore, you know, sure, not everything has cell coverage, but there's enough typically that you can feel confident you can ride out there by yourself in a quiet road that doesn't have a bunch of cars. Yeah. And if you get lost, you can find a way back. Yeah. Um, and you're packing enough. So, I mean, bags on these bikes is a huge part. I can pack enough snacks for 24 hours mm-hmm. and during those COVID times I yep, this thing can hold four water bottles so I can do 60 70 miles without stopping in a store let's go yep. so couldn't have done that on a road bike what type of bag are you running are you running a barrel bag up front or frame bag um, I'm in transition now because I just uh, built up a rodeo labs type animal so I need to go out to Nittany Mountain Works is my bag company they are so rad and cool nice um the front handlebar bag they call the pierogi bag. Um, oh yeah, pierogies being the Pennsylvania delicacy. Yes, of perfect food. Why do um, I know Pennsylvania so, for streusel? <laughs> streusel. Streusel. Pennsylvania Dutch. Them? Yeah. Well, no, no. Uh, oh, okay. No. I was like, that's a super weird. But anyway, I think happen. I, I'm not. I'm um, just saying. I just know Pennsylvania for streusel. I used to get streusel, streusel there in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Dutch yeah. area when I visit a great aunt down in Maryland. So cutting through. Nice. Yeah. Anyways, pierogies are buffalo snack. food, by the way. We'll, we'll fight mm. you over that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We already have a fight with Maine on whoopie pies and we win that one too. So bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can at least get a Super Bowl down there with the Eagles. We're still struggling with the Bills. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not talk football right now. We're in morning. Yeah. There We're you in are. morning too. That's right. <laughs> Uh, where's it going? Oh, so bags. So right now I have the, like I'm a pierogi bag right now. I need to get one. Um, a top seat, like a stem bag right up there. That's where it keeps snacks. Mm-hmm. And then under the top tube, they make a kind of a fast one, which is like a half of the distance that tapers in. I think on this bike, I'm going to get a full length of top tube bag to go with that. Um, and I have a wireless dropper post now. So the saddle bag doesn't work quite like I would like oh, it to. Yeah. I'm going to put some, I also make that little thing that attaches underneath a water bottle and the tube kind of fits there right by the yep. bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. So yep. I got one, one of those, those there. there. Those are nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that cool. is my general bag setup. Nice. Nice. Well, we get went down a rabbit hole of bags. Thanks. As we do. Or <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys do last time? Down, you went down some bike path. Yeah. We were talking about the construction of bike paths. For a while, yeah. I mean, that, was, I, that was crazy. I mean, with me, you never know what you're going to get. Um, I I do it in meetings all the time. That's why meetings are twenty minutes of productivity and forty minutes of conversation about stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. So should we ask him about our what he thinks about the Oregon thing back in 2015? Oh yeah, 
So we want to get into a little bit, since you're a race director and you have to deal with people coming to your event, uh, we, we seem to have a little bit of an issue at some events in the past and recently as well with uh, the way riders behave. Have you ever experienced anything like that with your event? <laughs> nope, they're all angels. Thanks for asking. Gotta go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, fortunately, I mean, again, it's 99% good, but it takes 1%, one bad apple to sure. yeah. whatever the hell damn bunch. Um, so yeah, uh, trying to think appropriate story. Um, I, I do think gravel riders are better than mountain bike events I've been a part of. I don't do any real road events. Um, involves some charity rides, but nothing like a crit race or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So can't speak to anything along those lines, but you know, one of the things racers are notorious for are leaving garbage, you know, dropping their gel wrappers and that on the side. Again, back to bags, you can easily slap it back in your thing and it's not as much of an issue. So I think we're a little better about that. Um, when our teams, um, tear down all those route arrows, they tend not to report back a whole lot of garbage on course. That's good. Um, there'll be the occasional thing, a missed pocket sort of thing. Something flies out, get it. No big deal. Um, but it's not too, 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 too bad. Uh, what we get is the public urination. Um, so we, we started to have some fun with it and putting up, you know, rest stop half mile sort of signs and things like that. Um, letting, reminding them that there are plenty of Porta Johns at the aid stations. Um, I will say, I think, something that's helped our event out. And I may always harp on this, not because, well, because a lot of the segment racing has helped our event in a lot of ways. And this would be one of them. Um, but I also want to preface this. We did not invent segment racing. Um, we we glommed on to a lot of it. We use it a different way than others use it. Um, but I think it, I know it works very well on the East coast where there's a lot of intersections and stop signs that you can not have time. Right. So it makes it a safer course. It, 100% 100% makes it a safer course and I will stick with it forever. Um, nice. especially out here where in the Midwest I've ridden up there and you can go 10 miles without an intersection or it's yeah. a grid and it's, you know, there's no one there. I get it. Um, so it, an open course works better here close or a segment course works a ton better. Yeah, uh, but what that, we've uh, done, no, oh, go ahead. I did that race up in Bath, New York last fall and they did it like a Fondo style or segment race. Yeah. And, yeah. Going into it, I was like, that is the dumbest thing. And then about three miles into it, I was like, nope, I get it. Even though I yeah. grew up there, you know, yeah. I grew up, I know those hills. I don't know that area, but I just know that general area. I Three miles in, I was like, yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes sense, especially after right. But a key thing, one of the reasons we moved towards it, it's something that we did with, um, when we, again, we were able to put on an event in 2020 during the COVID heaviest COVID time because our events in October. And by then we had learned to play outside. We had learned to do some small gatherings outside. Right. You know, we had figured out some rigmarole, some other events were trying some things. So we were able to put one on for 200 people. That was the max. And we realized the main concern was gathering in small spaces, say an aid station. Um, and you know, getting in line for water means they had to stand six feet apart mm-hmm. in line. And that's going to make things take forever and people would blow it off or do other things. So like, let's just turn off timing 
in the aid stations. Right. So that they would face out, they wouldn't rush through, yell that they didn't get their water, not take their water, and then all of a sudden bonk out on course and explode and have to get rescued, right. all those things. So it's like, all right, we will use segments so that they will calm down in the aid stations, take their time, space out. Everyone loved it. Everyone not only took their time, they took care of themselves. They ate more food, ate more pierogies. Um, <laughs> they filled up both their water bottles and they used the Porta Johns. So even though there was a line for the Porta Johns, they didn't go, I can't wait for this. I'm going to go I'm back on my bike and go pee on the side of the road. Right. Um, so that helped tremendously too. Does it still happen? Yes. Do we still get rangers who want us to bring it up? Absolutely. Um, have I, but this, and I've read your things and this will probably go into the thing. Do I put in the rules that you'll get disqualified if you're caught doing it? Yes. Can I police that? No. Um, <laughs> if a ranger gives me their number and I put numbers on their front and their back and I say, ranger, give me their number and I will DQ them. They never do. Um, but it's in there, which I think helps discourage it, yeah. but not eliminate it. And right. yeah. So yes, there will always be some of them. There's less and less of them. I think, I think turning down the tension or the competitiveness of the event helps. Um, you know, everyone's racing for a whoopie pie and breaking news. Everyone gets a whoopie pie. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do a couple of little podium prizes, but we give them out later. We don't have podiums at the end. Those things help. If I were putting on more of a top shelf event, I would be more adamant during messaging, um, I have a video idea on how to be a good unpaid participant and kind of like a flight attendant movie thing and do to do and not to do. Um, I don't know if I'll get around to it because things are going pretty well, but I think that could be helpful. It'd be a great video for someone to do is yeah. treat it like a uh, airline. Yeah. No smoking, no peeing on the side of the road. How about no pooping? <laughs> I'll give you one. How about no pooping on someone's farm property? Yeah, that's right. Let's not do that. Right. Yeah. Get, only one of those that I know of. So, I've been caught. Um, that's been caught. Well, that was seen. I don't, we never no, caught I, two I've, I've been caught. You've been caught. Oh, yourself. You've well, been yeah. caught. Well, not at an event. I was out for a gravel ride, and I got caught short. Oh, yeah? Oh. So this was uh, actually Twister Hill that was in the movie. Oh, yeah? Out there by Pilot Mound. No. Going down a rabbit hole here. Bear with me. <laughs> yep, um, I'm so I'm climbing. I'm climbing up the hill. And I'm like, I stand up to get over the top and I'm like, Oop. right. Mm-mm. So I'm like, I got like five minutes and I found a dead end road with, uh, they had a cow pasture Yeah. and there was probably about a six foot ditch Yeah. and it was early May. So I get down in the ditch and I got my bibs down and this guy pulls up with like a square, square body forward. He's like. Yeah, I shouldn't have stopped. And he kept, he turned around. <laughs> but it was one of those, he was like, why the hell's that guy going down yeah, that? I should probably check. Maybe something's wrong with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. something temporarily wrong with him. And yeah. I just looked at him, kind of gave him the wave, and he was like, yep, uh, we've been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. At least his body functions. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Nice. Well, let me ask you this, Dave. Um, you know, I, I think what you've, you've come across and implemented with unpaved really works well for your event and the vibe that you're trying to have there. Uh, and you were beginning to talk a little bit about, well, if I was putting on a pro level event, we'd have to do things a little bit differently. Um, do you think at that point at that level, it's becomes more imperative for the 
the race directors to be a little bit more vigilant and maybe take actions uh, as far as DQing people, um, you know, being, being a little more observant on the courses, maybe having, you know, that, that kind of follow car kind of thing. I don't know how exactly you would do that, but, uh, you know, what do you think there? I mean, yeah, I mean, the more it matters, the more you need to be on top of it. Um, Mm I mean, I used to joke when a lot of this stuff started that the, the court of social media opinion would take care of a lot of, you know, not rule breakers, but people who are bending rules that weren't there yet. Right. So yeah, it's spirit of gravel will say you should stop at aid stations, but the racer, you know, whoever the first one it was who said, I'm not stopping this aid station got called out. Um, but now it's like, well, what do we do now? These are your rules. Like you're right. Um, because more and more of them matter. Um, having one that, matters less is significant to participants that matters in the grand scheme of things. I Kelly mean, Catali has been great after winning unpaved. I don't, you know, Adam Robert just won it a couple of times, but I wouldn't say he put it at the top of his Palmares and that's okay. He has a great time when he's there. Um, I would want to talk to them more ahead of time because there needs to be some level of self-policing protest, I think, because, Again, safety-wise, I'm also thinking of it this way. A, a key thing that's, that needs to be figured out is all these events that are participatory. So mine has a 30, a 50, a 90, and a 120, and a 200. But let's not talk about that right now. But the 120 is the race race. That's mm-hmm. the one that has a competition element. Yeah. But they, they're all finishing all the same, like, 10, 15 miles. Okay. Um, if it was an open, finish, you know, open race with a finish line, and the 30s and the 50s and the 90s are all coming in while the fastest 120s are starting to race through. That's a thing. And the, and the yeah. racers are trying to figure that out. But if you also then have official motos surrounding them, that's more danger. It's more, right. it's more, it's cost. That's one thing, but that's more things that the 30s, 50s, 90s have to navigate as well as they're finishing their experiencing right. their day. So I don't know if they'll end up being a split down the road and the pros are doing their thing. And then another day or another way in the folks like me are doing that. Mm-hmm. It depends. You kind of hit on one of my, it's not a pet peeve, but one of my dislikes about gravel and management. Um, you touched on the motos. I've been in a couple events where the motos come by and it's not, no one's pro by any means. They just have a moto out there because a someone's probably volunteering or what what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, the support vehicles, not so much racer support, but you know the support vehicle going out to a checkpoint, and they're going down the yeah. same exact route that I'm yeah. riding, and right. fifty other people are there, and I'm kind of like, you know, this this is big chunk gravel out here in some parts of mm-hmm. Iowa, and you're forcing us on the shoulder when you know what the, you should know what the route is and the RD or the group should say, Hey, if you're going out to this checkpoint to support, you need to take this route out Here's there. A different route. Yeah. And Lutz and, yeah. you know, lifetime for all their faults, they do that very well. Every event they have gone well. to, they're like, if you're going to do any support, this is the way you go. And if right. we see you, the implied is if we see you on course, your riders DQ'd, right? right. 
that's the implied threat. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, Dave mentioned here that if you're doing a lot of communication ahead of your event yep. to your, um, your writers, then they know what to expect. Right. So it, it's always comes down to communication. And if you're mm-hmm. trying to enforce a rule after the fact, uh, that's hard, way hard to do. If you're trying to enforce a, ro- a rule that it's been delineated and communicated like crazy beforehand, yeah. then it's a lot easier. And then you got to stick so, to yeah. it. Yeah. And then you got to stick to it. Yeah. And it's not fun as an erase director. To, no, to I do watched, these I watched your face on the last trans Iowa. Yeah. I had the DQ three guys. So, and that wasn't any well, fun. Four. You know, well, they, they cut the course. Right. Well, there you go. That, <laughs> you know, so that's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. And they knew they did. And, um, so we finally caught up to them and stopped them and they weren't, you know, they weren't necessarily happy about it, but they understood. And, and I just, you know, as a, as a person who was tasked to, to do that enforcement, uh, I, I, I was, I felt horrible, you know, <laughs> it was like the pit of my gut was just sour, you know? Uh, but you know, if you don't do it, then your rules are meaningless. So, you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of rules, so the, you know, rule number one is, how are you with cursing on this podcast? Real quick. Uh, you won't fine. be in the circle club. Y- which... You won't be in the old oh. tub club. Oh, sorry, I, I know there's a, yeah, there's a thing. I missed an episode or two where that can't start it. So I knew, but I knew it was a thing. Um, <laughs> Let's just put this I, won't. I already made, I'm already not in the club yeah. this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know who in Psychocross or at least, maybe in single speed cycle cross, which is another set of rules. But anyway, um, came up with rule number one is don't be a dick. Right. And I still have that as that's rule number one in unpaved. The text after that is, I'm sorry to use such language, but it goes, you know, basically if you do something that makes me call you that you went too far. Right. And so keep that in mind. The rest of these rules also apply. This one goes a long way, but keep reading the rest of the rules. Like if you follow that, if you don't be a dick and go off and cut the course then we'll probably be okay. But once you do, eh, I don't feel so bad about the community. Right. Um, um, but back to participant behavior, I think it is imperative in these events more than others. I mean, not like there's the, I think even more so in these to read the event notes, to read the writer, yes. the emails yes. from the director yep. to read, pay attention in meetings. I know, I know they're hard. I'm a participant too. And I know I'm in the back of the group and I can't hear the race director on a small megaphone. Um, I know that emails sometimes are very long. Uh, I joke with my wife this year, read my emails cause they're very long. <laughs> I'll, you, I'll read you the condensed version. Um, but she made me better because now I use more bold face and bullet points and yes. things like that yeah, to make yeah. it a little more mm-hmm. browsable. But I used to work in publishing, so I know how to use those things. Um, so race directors need to have very clear, concise, easy to understand yeah. directions, whether they're rules or best practices or things like that, you know, advice for weather and things. And then everyone who takes part should go out of their way to study them. Maybe I'll say study, study these things. It's, yeah, absolutely. You're going to be out there and it's the more, you know, the more fun you'll have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I also think just to go along with that as, as a sidebar is that it's, I think it's incumbent on everybody who enters in an event to do their due diligence and research the area and the weather and 
maybe mm-hmm. there's some past, there probably are past race reports on the event that you're going to, or at least you can talk to yeah. somebody who's been to it before and kind of get a, the vibe of the event because just to show up and, and then be uh, disgusted because you had to ride through some mud or there was a hike a bike section and, you know, well, if you researched the event and found out that happens a lot here, <laughs> yeah then then you wouldn't be offended but that's exactly you know, so mud mud's a thing there yeah <laughs> so i i kind of find it hilarious and sad at the same time when i read stories about multiple people having uh hissy fit about mud on a course with, at an event that's had mud on their course for multiple years in the past yeah. and there's tons of race reports right. about it and you know, this doesn't make any sense to me. So anyway, I just I thought I'd mention that. Um, no, that's a good one. I, um, and I'll do a shameless sponsor plug, uh, Stan's No Tubes. Last year, they interviewed a few of the race directors that they support mm-hmm. about like how to be a participant. And um, one of the things that the writer and I came up with there is, yes, to like go check out either their Instagram or the people who've done it. You, know, you tend to do a little hashtag diving and fake, do some research on stuff. But caveat, some things look, type too fun looks more fun on social media than it is when you're out there doing <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> that, amen to that. <laughs> I, I still think type three fun can be fun. Yeah. What's three? You're weirdo. <laughs> three. Type three fun is on paper, you know, when they say, you went out there, you did something, it'll never be fun, not even when you look back upon it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, nah. You can, you can have type three fun. Then not, someone tells you, no, there's truly no such thing as type three fun. I'm like, trust me, there is, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I have no desire for type three fun yeah, anymore. Yeah. 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 Same place. If yeah. you know it's impossible to be fun, fun. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Like tour divide seems amazing. I would hate it. So yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, you could always chunk it up, you know? Mm-hmm. You can just bike back for things. a night or two and then yeah. call that your tour divide, you know? That's enough. There you go. We're done. Yep. So we're going home. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to crack a beer and go have a pizza. <laughs> Our pierogi. <laughs> yes. So which type of pierogies do you like? Do you like the cheese, the onion, or is there not oh, a Oh, yeah, one? cheese. If I can have it sauteed with a little bit of onion, perfect. Um, but I, I would not say I'm that picky. I don't like sauerkraut, so that would probably be my yeah. That'd, that'd be my kryptonite is any sauerkraut. That would be the one thing probably stop me from having a pierogi if it was yeah. sauerkraut. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I was I was it. thinking if I was ever going to do another event, there would be a pierogi station. Well, yeah, I like come pierogi. to Unpaved, October 13th. Um, Evan Gross of Nittany Mountain Works Bags is the pierogi king of Topatty State Park. Really? Um, yep. Nice. I might have to go this year. Do they put Philly uh-huh. cheese in pierogies? You can. That would be awesome. So yeah. in Geneseo, <laughs> New York, I found these three Polish ladies yeah. and they had a Euro Cafe on Main Street near yeah. the Dancing Bear. If you know anything about Geneseo, you know about the bear. Okay. <laughs> I know about the beer, but I don't no, know the about bear. The, oh, yeah. the bear. If the bear, anyways, I won't Murph. go down that one. Um, <laughs> I got it. So I went back this year with Morgan yeah. and we went downtown. We're like, well, where's the Polish ladies? They're gone. So oh, no. I lost, it just seems like the pierogies in that area are just going away. That's too bad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sad yeah. face for me. So we're trying to learn how to make our own from my mom's recipe that I found. Ooh, nice. nice. Yeah. Well, you have to invite me over sometime. 
What we're finding um, out is bacon grease makes everything taste better. Everything better. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. Without a doubt. Says the man with a bacon suit. <laughs> yeah. Can't confirm. Told you. Told you he's meat. Not candy. good at shandy cream, but yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. So I don't think he's coming back for a fourth time. <laughs> well, this was his free oh, one, so you know. nothing. Yeah. Uh, oh, if you I, my shame dropped a lot well before I even put on the bacon suit. So yeah, no worries. Go. There you go. All right. Well, um, I was just wondering if there's anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to mention or, um, you know, any concerns that you wanted to bring up? Um, not that I can think of. I'm sure I'll come up with 10 afterwards, but I'll keep throwing weird ideas to you as I have a beer and ponder gravel and things. Um, Actually, no, I do, I do have one thing. Um, I am, I'm happy to say that there's a lot of momentum in Pennsylvania right now to work with so much of our gravel is on forest, state forest land, public lands. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've had some very good, a lot of event promoters got together with a lot of some of the uh, forest rangers and talked about concerns that they have um, with events and things like that and had a really great discussion on how to simplify things for them. You know, the, we realized that the park ranger, their number one job mission is to reduce conflict in the forest. Okay. So once we realized that, it's like, okay, how can we help them do that? How can we design our courses? And as we present the course, discuss how this direction will minimize conflict or using this road will minimize conflict because we use this other road that has more traffic coming in from the left. And so we don't want to do a left turn onto that, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So having those meetings and things was huge. Um, I'm really happy where we're going within Pennsylvania on a lot of that because we have a you know, huge population center, a lot of outdoor recreation happening. But one of the highlights of one of the higher ups that forestry said, when I asked, you know, how do you feel about gravel as opposed to, you know, mountain bikes, we had a lot more complex. Um, there was a lot with horses. There's a lot with, rogue trail building, you know, so on and so forth. So sure. that was more contentious in throughout the mountain bike history. Still some of that lingering. I said, how is gravel in for you all? I think we're great, but what do you think about us? And he goes, you guys are great because you are, um, minimal impact and high exposure for us. Nice. Uh, we use established roads and trails. We use established infrastructure. We use established campsites because we tend to drive in and park there or roll in and park there. Mm-hmm. And we are easy to show off as good users of the forest without like creating a bunch of problems, you know, tearing things up or cutting in new trails or um, causing traffic incidents and things like that. We really thought that gravel is one of his, you know, most appreciated users of the state, state gate and state property. So that was, you really don't have any special needs other than roadways, right? Pretty much, yeah. We yeah. tend to navigate on our own. Um, we like maps. They love maps. Um, yeah. We'll stop and talk to them a lot of times. Um, so he, he thought that he really liked the gravel cycling community, and that meant a lot to me. So I wanted to share that. that That's awesome. Um, I, know, I know that you know things can get blown out of proportion or things can really cause problems, and that we can often all focus on what's not quite right, but there's a lot of right with the gravel community. And the people who ride and the types of ways we enjoy all these great open spaces that resonates beyond us too. So yeah, good job, everybody. 
Yeah. Yay. <laughs> hey, um, before we, yeah, there you go. Applause. There it is. Oh, <laughs> ovation. Um, so why don't we let people know about unpaved of the Susquehanna river Valley, what's going on this year. Why don't you, I'm going to turn it over to you to give yourself some self-promotion now. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Unpaved. This will be the seventh year of unpaved the Susquehanna river Valley out of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which is close to dead center of the state. Uh, October 13th is the main event, but we have events starting on the Friday night before you just do pub crawl or, um, our games is one, the, one of the Hallmark bars on the corner has a big arcade area and stuff. And so we, last year we set a roller races in there, which was fun. Nice. And then yeah. Saturday, Lewisburg puts on their fall festival in downtown. So lots of, uh, arts, crafts, bike vendors, all of our, you know, our sponsors will have booths, mm-hmm. food, beer, all of that music, you know, basically a big wide open day. We also set up, uh, small rides out of there. So guided 20 to 30 mile rides starting and finishing at the festival. So you can go out and explore the countryside right around Lewisburg. There's not a lot of gravel. There's a couple of spots. There's a great rail trail, but it's beautiful farm country. It's actually some of the best road riding as well. Wow. I've ever been on. Um, so you explore a little bit, open your legs up, hang out, get something to eat at the festival and sign in, get all of your gear for the next day. The slumber party starts some point during that time. We are doing a 200 miler now, which is insane. Um, <laughs> I know that other events are 200 miles, but we have heard that our 200 miles is as hard as anyone's three to 350. Wow. Um, if so you're on the same ridge line as I experienced in Bath, New York, then yeah, I can see how. Yeah. Did 53 miles with 7,900 feet of climb. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, the winner of our first unpaved. Uh, Matt Kerbo showed me his data from the 120 miles of unpaved and 200 miles of NDK and said, look, this is the same TSS score. Um, <laughs> you, you, you've got it. Yeah. Um, so, and they'll also the, we call that the big lick because it goes through a bunch of licks and hollows. Oh, okay. um, so that will start on Saturday afternoon as well. And then we'd go into the campus theater and have a film festival and I'll get to hang out and watch. So we have we have some great films now on our YouTube channel. Um, then also partners and other friends we get to show off what they put out together. So we get together for an early evening of that, and then people tuck themselves in and get up nice and early in the morning or a little later in the morning. Again, because of segment racing, you can also start at your leisure. We don't have a grand mass start. We say you can start. Um, I think it's six thirty now. We sometimes move it around. Um, depending on the time, we have to move it back for a week later. So we'll probably make it 6.30 a.m. once it's done-ish. And if you figure you need all day to do those 120 miles, you should probably get going 6.37. If you're a fast person like Kerry Warner, he started at 9, like mm-hmm. 2 minutes before 9, right before we shut it down. Um, and that's great for them, too, because fast people don't need 12 hours to do it. So mm-hmm. they don't need to get up the line. And it also helps in the morning. There's not this... 70 person line to the portage on right you know, everyone's taking the time They're, if they forget their jacket they can go back to their car and get it stuff like that mm-hmm. again helps with rider safety and comfort and yeah. ease of having a good day so depending what time you want to start you know plot out what your day would look like um another thing we do with unpaved is, is one price no matter if you're doing the 50 miles the 90 miles or the 120 miles the thinking around that is twofold one it's pretty much the same cost for us to put that on no matter which distance you do. So okay. that part doesn't matter. Um, yeah, you may not hit one other aid station, but lots of people do. 
But the key thing we have found for participants is once you take that, well, I signed up for this, I got to do this, or I paid this, I got to do that. If you're having a bad day when you get to the first aid station, because you just went over the highest, the biggest climb of the biggest climb is the first climb. Cause I'm mean that way. <laughs> um, you get to that first aid station at mile 25. I'm like, Whoa, I, I, I'm in over my head. I was not expecting climbs like that. And we go, well, there's six more. If you keep doing the 120, there's your chance to take a left and make it a 50 mile day and have an absolute fabulous time. Roll back down to the next aid station, which is at a brewery and then roll to the finish where there's more food and beer and have a great day without the pressure of, Oh, I signed up for the 120. I got to do the 120. Right, right. Yeah. Flip side of that, if you thought, oh, I'm going to do the 50, I don't know if I can do the 90, you get to the first aid station, like, I actually feel pretty good. It's still early. I got plenty of time. Go for it. Go do the 90. We're not going to stop you from adding on and making your day better than maybe you had in mind the first time. Nice. So we allow that people to make those things up. We use timing systems so then we can go back, see how many people did each distance. We can check and see. If you do the 120, we don't have to go back and say, well, they signed up the 120, but they're here earlier. So which distance did they do? Did they possibly, oh, they skipped that segment now. We can see, you know, we can jump through less hoops mm-hmm. scoring it, which we do a day or two later. Um, and it helps alleviate a lot of pressure and people make better decisions. We have noticed yeah. we have a lot less crashes now. Um, so knock on wood. I shouldn't knock on wood as I say that. But. <laughs> A technical question with your segment timing. Are you doing it with mm-hmm. the chip on the wrist, with the wristband? Uh, we do it with, um, right now we have it on number plates. We've okay. done it on the device on the fourth leg. We do use um, more of that timing. One of the other things I like about segment racing is you could use Strava yeah. and just use it, people's Strava time and treat it that way, and that's great. I don't like that because I want to designate where the starts and finishes are of the segments. and. Mm-hmm. Then, and, you know, the first Jones Mountain Climb has, like, five versions of it on Strava. Yeah, okay. And it's, it's like, I know, but I want this one. I, I like where it starts there. I don't like where it finishes there because it finishes right at the Vista. I want to finish before the Vista so you actually pull and stop. You're not worried about it. Things like that. Right. You Fair know, enough. We're, partic- we're particular. <laughs> um, so I we use that. But I totally appreciate if you are – more grassroots you want to do like a $20 entrance fee and use Strava and tell people later how people did awesome because there's a free service and yeah. all you can do is a little bit of data diving yep. and then you don't yep. need to spend the yeah we spend money on timing equipment because that's the kind of thing we have no I was so just that's I was kind just of on. yeah because, yeah uh, I think both are great so yeah the one event I did out in New York uh it's a minor critique I came around a corner hot on wet gravel and I was running Victoria zeros so I really didn't have too much grip. You know, New York State was in a drought. So I was like, oh, I'll just keep those 38s on, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I came around the corner hot and I saw the post off to the right. And I was like, oh, crap. So I finished. And the guy goes, hey, when did you hit the start of the segment? And I'm like, oh, I was probably about 30 seconds behind the guy who finished in front of me. And he's like, okay, cool. I was like, all right. So that was my takeaway is like, you know, it race directors really have to focus on getting those segment starts. If you're using a, a chip system of some sort um, away from a corner, because exactly yeah. what I did, because yeah. I came around hot and no. I, yeah. so I went far left. I could see around the corner, but I couldn't see, yeah. I couldn't see the segment start. Right. Right. Um, the best they marked yeah. it, it rained so hard. It washed the paint away on the road. So <laughs> it, it, they did yeah. what they yeah. could and it just, you know, this, just a small little grousing, right? 
Yeah, we, was, um, we were looking at where we're setting them. Sometimes we make, it, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that go into that. Sometimes it's like, well, this one actually gets cell coverage. So if we put it on here, we can actually have a tracker of where people are. Yeah. Um, so we've done that. And it's not where I would want it as far as a participant goes, but it makes our lives easy, not easier, but just better knowing we have some like knowledge of how people are doing out there. Yeah. Um, so sometimes we make those decisions along the way, but I would, yeah, we are talking about safety first. So yeah. hot corners, not a good spot for one. Um, we actually turn segments off on the three fastest corners we have on course. If they are not on the race course or in the racing segment, right. you know, so people have slowed down for those much more. Nice. nice. Uh, one other cool thing that we set, we put in last year before our 30 mile ride was very, road centric. Like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of gravel around the start finish in the town yeah. of Lewisburg, <clears throat> but we changed our course. You know, as we said, there's a 90 and a 120. The 120 is the main event. 120 is the difference between a really great big bike ride and an event. Um, yeah. 30 miles is typically significantly more difficult. Our first version of it had chunky road, had four significant climbs. It was one of the harder 30 miles you could do. Um, and very remote we've moved it to be closer to town. So you make that decision earlier, mm -hmm. but it's also in a place with a large parking lot that you can get to without being on course. Nice. Key thing for that. And so now the 30 miles starts and finishes there. So they actually get to use the same 30 that the main event people get to do. So you get this great mix of people who are really going for it, racers types and are really experienced and people who are either newer to it or that is, their Everest, that's as big as they could possibly do, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. And so it's a really good blend of people together. The 50s and the 90s are off on other places, and the 120s will rejoin them. But it's nice having that sort of the, the 30s and the 120s together on a course. And because it's big segments, it works out pretty well. Nice. Yeah. Happy with that turned out. Very good. So um, back to selling the event, though. Yes, I've brought up climbs a few times. We also have the best descending I've ever done on bikes. It's yeah. you know, four miles through a leaf tunnel in during fall foliage. Nice. You forget, you forget about that climb that got you there. Um, it's, they're pretty awesome. You know, we turn off timing at most of the vistas so you can stop, pull over, have a snack while you're looking over the hills of central Pennsylvania. Our aid stations are top notch pierogies, hot dogs. Um, wow. You know, stop and get all the food and water you want. Another aid station's at a brewery. Um, so, yeah, we can, you can have a really good day. We have, we throw a very good party at the end called the Dunn Pave and it's at an established thing in town. The Miller Center gym is a great facility with a plaza right on the rail trail that everyone finishes on. It keeps them as a safe way to get into town. And we throw a good party there with lots of sponsors and prizes. So very good. come on up. Yeah. And the date again is? October 13th is uh, Sunday the 13th. Um, it's always on the Columbus slash Indigenous Day, Indigenous Peoples Day weekend, which coincides with Lewisburg is a college town, and that college has their fall break over that weekend. So we tend to get more of the town to ourselves, and the restaurants and bars appreciate our customers coming in because we tend to tip a lot. Um, so <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Yeah. They like yeah. us. So we have a great relationship with Lewisburg. And they can find you on social media and the internet and all that good stuff, yep. right? We'll have the link in the uh, show notes. Website is unpavedpennsylvania.com. Um, it currently goes to our race director, Samirna Chacon. She puts on True Grid Epic in Utah and other events. Um, she's been running the event the past couple of years. She's still running the event. We're working on 
a new website that's going to showcase more Pennsylvania. So stay tuned for that. Nice. Uh, it's unpaved Pennsylvania on Instagram and unpaved PA on your Facebooks. Good. All right. Well, anything else, Dave, or have we covered it? I think we've covered a lot of good things. I really appreciate all the conversations you have. You guys have to get people thinking and questioning and contemplating and pondering and it's a good thing to do on a bike. So get to listen to your podcast and get to go keep thinking about those things on my bike rides. So really appreciate that. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate you uh, making the time today and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime. Um, also just uh, another shout out to Celine for making the gravel cycling hall of fame. And I hope to see you both out there in uh, Emporia this coming May. Well, I'm already figuring out our party costumes. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks Dave. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you both. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. That was our guest, Dave Pryor from the Unpaved, the Susquehanna River Valley, giving us his take on why gravel saved racing. So would you have any comments about what he had to say there? He's got a different take. Yeah. His different take pretty much aligns with us. Yeah. yeah, He did send us us an email after the podcast last time. Yeah. uh, we're pretty much aligned, but he brought up some other different aspects that we wouldn't even have thought of. So Right. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have him on because mm-hmm. I wanted to have, have him give his perspective, which uh, is going to be vastly different than ours and yeah. coming from a different part of the country. And he do, he is an event promoter, and so that helps, I think, from that standpoint, given that, that I'm viewpoint. Just more shocked he heard about, he and the pierogies on the one podcast and offer us no feedback on that. Meanwhile, he's got a station out there. <laughs> what gives? I don't know. <laughs> but we do agree upon one thing. What's that? Bacon makes everything better. That's right. You heard it here, folks. All right. Well, you got anything else to add today? No, we've gone. We normally, listeners, we like to be at an hour and we kind of went over today. So I'm yeah. going to pass on the gravel lamp. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll hit you up next time on the Guitar Ted podcast. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor, Core 4. So remember that uh, you can hit those guys up on Bike Reg. We'll have the link in the show notes. We appreciate their sponsorship. And other than that, we'll be seeing you soon here again on the Guitar Ted podcast. Appreciate you all. Bye.